Hi, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. And I just wanted to let you know before we get started that we did have some technical issues with our recording equipment for episode three. So you might hear some of our recording be a little grainy. We apologize in advance. We're really sorry about this. We are non-professionals working through our equipment and we're going to get better every time. And we promise these issues will be fixed for episode four. So thank you all so much for bearing with us. And without further ado, we're going to get right into the episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode three of Foolishly Faithful. We are back, and it is a Tuesday night, February 21st, and we're a little off our regular schedule from the weekends, but we decided we're going to move this to the weekday tonight, and maybe going forward as well. So thank you all for your patience uh, of us getting out our third episode. And today, uh, we are here in full force on Foolishly Faithful. I am Stephen Tartagliakovics. I'm using my whole name this time, and I'm joined by my friends... David Alpern. Eric Tanowski. And our fourth member of our group, Ray Aceta. And Ray, why don't you take the mic and introduce yourself real quick? Hey, everybody. Um, this is Ray Aceta here. I missed the first two episodes of the show. Uh, unfortunately, COVID struck again, as it, you know, always does at unfortunate times. I was looking forward to start the show with everybody, and um, I was really excited to hear that they were able to get the first two episodes off without me. So, uh, here I am to finally join the show in episode three. A little bit about myself. I've been a Mets fan for, I don't know, probably my entire life. I'm sure it's felt like longer than that. You know, at times there's, uh, there's definitely certain years where definitely puts a little bit of age between your whiskers because, you know, they build your hopes up and they just kind of like dash it out from underneath you. But... The coming years look very promising, and I'm excited to be uh, talking to everybody about my feelings about the team. <laughs> that is the life of a Mets fan. Ray, you mentioned the other day you haven't missed an opening day in how long? Um, shoot, it must have been must be over like twelve or thirteen years now. Um, the first opening day to start this record uh, record streak was the last year at Shea. So was that 2006? It was 2008. 2008 so i worked as a vendor that first year and worked maybe 10 years in the business going to every opening day and since then i've been trying to make it to each one hopefully i get there this year that's one of the reasons i'm actually really excited for you to have you on the show on top of obviously you're our friend and a big mets fan but you have a lot of inside knowledge about working for the mets and with the mets as a vendor and i think it's gonna be a lot of fun for our stories going forward in the year yeah, I feel like it's a unique like uh, perspective. Like you, everybody hears about like the fans' views from the seats, but sometimes like there's another like inside the stadium perspective that people don't really get to get to see. Very nice. I'm so, very excited to hear about the bowels of City Field. <laughs> oh, it, the bowels of City Field are a lot cleaner than the bowels of Shea Stadium. Oh. I was only there for one year, but like I remember how uh, you know rustic they were. Wow, it's <laughs> a good word for it. So with that, we're going to talk a little about the the last week since we last spoke to everybody. Pitches and catches reported. The uh, best time of the year. Spring training is starting. Hope springs eternal. And I mm. think I speak for pretty much everybody in Mets Nation that says spring training is one of our favorite times of the year. It's certainly one of my favorite times of the year. It feels like hope is coming back to the world. Definitely. Definitely. I think spring training only brings promise. Um, there is only hope. There's only ways to go up um, because we haven't played any real baseball yet. You just get to see um, our team out in the sun, taking ground balls, doing outfield drills, people doing picks at first base, <laughs> pitchers, our, our favorite pitchers throwing to our favorite batters. Um, so it's, it's, it's a fun time. Um, and I've really enjoyed watching all the videos and content that's been coming out. Yeah, of. Speaking on that, like I saw a video of... Uh, Shures are thrown at Lindor, and it was a very uh, unique perspective. You know, normally you see the guys under like the bright lights, but you know, on a sunny afternoon in like the middle of March or February, rather, you know, it seems to like have a very like at home feel. Like you're seeing them in like a minor league ballpark, mm. very like, humbling, like um, intimate, rather. Yeah, and I think a lot of the players on their first in their first media appearances have said it kind of feels like the first day of school um which is a good feeling if, if you enjoyed school i guess 
so with that, I want to go around and uh, David, what's your favorite part about spring training? Like, what do you look forward to the most? What do you like love about seeing in the spring that you maybe not really with the regular season, but something that you know kind of gets you going? I mean, like you guys are saying, not to actually repeat yourselves, but I mean, baseball's back. You know, it's it's exciting to yeah, football's over. Like that's cool. Super Bowl is done, and it's baseball now. I'm sorry, what is the Super Bowl exactly? Uh, it's some would say it's the World Series of, of football. I mean, you know? understood. Yeah, understood. You know, <laughs> if you no one heard of it before, so yeah, baseball's back. It's really like you said. You know, it's, weather's getting a little warmer. Days are getting a little longer, and uh, you know, it's it's right on the cusp here. You know, in addition to all the players, you know, it's uh, you see all the, the Gary, Keith, and Ron are back. You know, just a shout out to them, and you know, those it's, I don't know, it's the voice you hear all throughout the year. You know, in addition to the players, it's you know they really uh really keep it going. And Steve Gelbs, you can't forget about him. <laughs> I think my favorite part of spring training is um, I like I like the interteam matchups. I think you know you hear a lot, you know, about players saying oh i'm glad he's on my team or, i don't want to face him or i really got got to like this player when i was playing at the same time of him but these, these these guys train against themselves um they sort of know they sort of know what's coming and and i think it gives them more appreciation for when their teammates are successful um i saw it was, it was a clip of diaz going after alonzo and lindor and mcneil and he was. It just seemed like a good time because diaz would be throwing his slider and just cackle at the guys who he was striking out and I think all the all of our batters have a little more respect for him after what he's been doing. How about how about you, Ray? Um, I'm gonna kind of like piggyback off of both of like what David and Eric said. You know, I agree that baseball season, spring training coming around, it's like defrosting from the winter. You know, football's over. You know, once your hockey team starts like really doing awful. You could start hoping for the Mets to do to start doing well, and then uh, you see the competition with the young kids like in spring training. You know, we we have the luxury of seeing some like top players like throwing against each other in these matchups. I like okay, like you wouldn't see Lindor uh, bat against Diaz or Scherzer or now like Verlander added to that mix. And me, I'm personally excited for Senga to see how he th- fares against our guys. Like, but also, you know, the out-of-nowhere competition that usually shows up. I remember like two or three years ago when I think Guillaume was in line for first base and then Pete Alonso came out of nowhere and just showed everybody that he's got the biggest bat in, in New York. Can you imagine Guillaume playing first base? That, it feels like a waste yeah. of his talent. I, th- I think he was competing with uh, Dom at the time for first and, base. And yeah. Dom was up there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so it was, you know, a loaded infield, like very heavy co- competition-wise in that, like, spring training. So let's see if we have, like, any, like, you know, come out of, like, surprise nowhere, like, players coming up this year. And to your point, Eric, thank goodness we don't see Guillaume playing first base because we would miss getting to see him play the middle infield, and I think that would be... That's where he really shines, yeah. Yeah. How about you? What's your favorite strength training? I think, honestly, the number one thing that comes to mind is getting those little video clips where you see the pitchers first coming in for their bullpen sessions, and you see them throw a pitch, and then you hear... At the end of it, you hear that ball hitting the back of the catcher's glove, and to me, that just screams baseball. It's, it's when pitchers and catchers are the first people to come, mm-hmm. and getting to see those those Scherzers, those Sengas, those in the past years Degroms, mm. God rest his soul, God rest his soul, uh, uh, get to, get to just you just see them coming for the first time, fresh, and it, it just brings joy to the world. It feels right? really good. I really like I really like the clips of um, where it's like four of them lined up all during their bullpens, and you see it's. Verlander, Scherzer, Senga, Quintana, all back to back to back to back. Um, and it's just, oh, this is our staff. This, these are these are our horses that we're going in for the next year. Absolutely. That's a joy to see. And, oh. and just, just to touch on DeGrom, I don't know how funny this is for the Rangers fans, but I saw he lasted 54 minutes into the season. So, uh, <laughs> all right. Longer I mean, than last year. Listen, come on. DeGrom, DeGrom's, DeGrom's not done yet. Uh, he's he tweaked himself. Hopefully, he'll be okay. I, you know, I love DeGrom and. We never really talk, talked about him, him leaving the Mets. Uh, maybe we could talk about that later, but I, I wish nothing for the best of him. I, you know, I hope he has a great season for the Rangers and a great rest of his career. Uh, but it, it is a little comical to see. Yeah, I don't know. He keeps tweaking something here and there. It's it's <laughs> it's nice to just not have to worry about that throughout the season. And I think that's what's like the funny part 
for lack of a better word of it. You know, it's like, listen, I, I really wish him the best as well, but I'm glad I don't have to deal with this headache and heart attack on a yearly basis. 54 That's, minutes is a season, all my hopes up. Like, yeah. That, yeah, we only have glad. to worry about age, though, with uh, Verlander and Scherzer. You know, they're not the youngest fellas in the bullpen. That's a great well, point, yeah. We're relying on a lot of old people this year, especially in the rotation. Um, I think we, we got a couple other topics to talk about. We're going to move into, I think, rule changes, right? But before we did that, I think someone brought up uh, before we started recording, um, and I think we'd be remiss if we didn't bring it up, but Keith Hernandez is back in the booth officially uh, after his long... Uh, little spat with SNY and the Wilpons. He's signed uh, the booth. Uh, Gary, Keith, and Ron are back for a record-setting 18 Eight, seasons 18 on the Mets. 18 years. I'm, I mean, I, to, to me, it's like, how can you not bring him back, right? It's, broke, don't, why are you fixing it? It's yeah. it's it's stupid to... to I mean, sure, you got to pay him what is reasonable, but this is clearly the most re- respected tr- trio broadcasting, broadcasting booth in the league, so... I don't know why you would exactly if it's if it ain't broke why would why would you try to and they're break enjoyable them? and they're great they're a great time and they're really good and the whole production is amazing um, I'm very excited to be able to listen to them all year yeah I think especially for like fans our age where we never saw Keith as a player right I don't right, think any right. of I think I was born the year he retired um, you know he never even played during my lifetime and I think he's one of the most iconic Mets even without watching the replays of his old years and seeing him being the field generally just. He's the voice of the Mets for most of our lives, right? right. Yeah. It's going to be a good time. Okay, so I know we want to jump into a little well, some of the rules. That, I, yeah. I just want to say, who do we think is our fifth starter going in? Like, we Are we like really rolling with Carrasco, or do we think that Peterson or McGill have a shot of you know, redeeming themselves? I know that a couple of seasons back, McGill really seemed like he had some stuff. Um, before I just wanted to say before closing out pitchers and catchers, like we didn't talk about any catchers. I like Omar as a pickup, and you know I just wanted to pose that as a question to you guys before we uh, took a quick break. Do we think that we have a solid five starting like pitchers, and what do we think about our you know catcher situation? I think our our depth is what feels the best right now. Um. If I had to pick, I mean, so what, we're going from the top Verlander, Scherzer, Senga, Quintana to have our, our lefty, and then it leaves us with Carrasco, Peterson, McGill. So, I mean, following following them. And I, I think Cookie others, gets the start. I think Cookie gets it. I think, I, I think after his year last year, I think Cookie takes uh, the, think, the yeah, rotation spot. I think that, you know, I think Peterson will come in as that flex guy. He might do start the season in the minors and be that sixth man if we need it. And then McGill probably starts the season in the bullpen, uh, maybe. We'll see what happens, really. Um, maybe he also starts the season in the minors, but, you know, I don't, I don't know. What about you, David? I feel like McGill did not do as well when he was pitching from the bullpen as opposed to the starter. I would hope he's a professional and he can start to figure that out. If he's really needed and we have better starters and he's needed in the bullpen, I would hope he figures his stuff out and you know picks it up in the bullpen. I mean, frankly, it's spring training just started. Like, I'm happy with any of them if any of them are starting. And you know, let's hope the best five. And I mean, like you said, age. I mean, maybe six. I know Verlander and uh, Scherzer are not easy ones to work with and talk to you know they're pretty set in their ways but you know if they need an extra day maybe they need an extra day of rest i mean we could theoretically just go with six stars if people are proving them we have the depth if that's what's working then you know give them an extra day of rest like why not if they're every sixth day fine if they need it they're, they're pretty old <laughs> i personally love that idea i think the mets should start the year with a six-man rotation they won't I don't think. You think they should? I think they should. I think yeah. it would be great to see, like David said, get them the extra couple of days off for some of our older guys. We're relying a lot on older pitchers. Senga has had health issues in the past in Japan. Yeah. Uh, so why not give them the extra rest if we have the depth? I don't think the Mets do that, obviously, but I think that it would be a great idea. I think so too. I'm saying I think I think pitchers are co- are like hardwired to throw like every fi- every five days, starters at least. I think you're right. It's hard to disrupt that. Well, we'll see how that plays in with the new. Uh the rule change with the pitch clock. That's you know, when you're supposed to be dialed in at a much quicker rate, are our guys, you know, set up for that rapid pitching like time? Or, you know, will that extra 10, 15 seconds of no breaks, you know, wear out your arms as the season goes on? And we know better than anybody else that when it gets down to uh, September and October, 
our arms are not always the freshest. I think that's a great point, and I think that kind of segues perfectly into our next topic of uh, the rule changes, right? I think if you guys want to talk about uh, some, I think there's three major rule changes to the MLB this year, um, and let's, maybe we could start with probably one that's going to be the least significant as terms of actual gameplay goes. Uh, so, Eric, do you want to start us off with that? Sure. And let me let me say, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this, because I think you know the pictures I've seen, they look really silly. Um, and of course, I'm talking about the bigger bases. The bases in, in Major League Baseball this year will go from 15 inches uh, measured on the side to 18 inches. Um, and now three inches seems, I feel like, kind of small. But if you look at the pictures, I don't know if you've seen the pictures, they look really goofy. They're like really big. They kind of look like it's like gym class or something. And we've just like thrown down these like mega bases. And you have like <laughs> these tiny children with their tiny feet standing on the bases. And... Um, so it's it's going to look like a real base. It's not going to look like just this weird pillow in the middle of dirt anymore. I think it'll feel like a lot. It's feel like it feels like three people can stand on them. Um, but aside from them just looking kind of silly, it will make stealing easier, and I think it will make just general base runner safety um, better. I think it'll improve that. Um, with the three inches added, that means there is a four and a half inch reduction between first and second base. So, right, because they're extended from both from both the first base side and the second base side. So if you're, if you're a base runner and you're on first base and you're stealing, you have four and a half inches less to go. And, you know, stolen bases can be very, very close. That, that sounds insignificant. I agree. No, I, I, th- I think, yeah, four and a half inches compared to 90 feet feels very small. But if you watch any of these replays and you watch, you know, the bang bang plays at second or third or, or anywhere. How many times is it like, you know, pick, you need to go to like the photo finish to exactly. see like how close it was. Right. So it's like four inches will, will mean a lot. Um, and aside from it being closer, they're also wider too. So um, I know there's been a lot of talk around the league about the, the rule with, you know, if you, if you say you beat the tag to, to the base but your hand comes up or you slide past the bag and your body leaves the base for a second, then you are just, you're just out. And I don't know. It's like, you're out of luck, right? Even though you beat the tag, you just came off the, you came off the base for a little bit. So you're out. But I think the bigger bases will help people kind of grab on a little more. um, Almost as if it was like, you're going down like a river and you need to hold onto a rock. You know, you just kind of hang onto a bigger base. A situation we've all been in. You know, know, when we go (laughs) while we're rocking, we just get thrown (laughs) aboard and, you know, we have to eventually swim our way to safety. Um, But I mean, I hope it, I hope it means more stolen bases for the Mets. You know, as, as we talked about last week, Mets don't, Mets, do not steal a lot, um, at least compared looking at last year's stats. That's true. So I'm hoping to see a little more Nimmo, a little more Marte, a little more of our speed come to life. Well, I think the stolen base numbers are down all around the league. And like for the past like five or ten years they were talking about. And that's like one of the reasons why they wanted to bring in like the increased size of the the bags. But like you mentioned, I think that it will like increase the you know, the average number of stolen bases per game and for players. So I personally am a little excited for that. Yeah, I'm I, honestly, I have a counter. I kind of am curious how much it really will affect the game. I ultimately, the catcher throwing the ball is ends up is like way faster than any person is going to be able to run. So like, I don't know, the geometry changes a little bit. If the batter is sliding in like to the back end of the base, maybe they gain like an inch, but ultimately the catcher's ball is going to still be faster. So it's still like that little bit of difference is going to end up being means that the catcher is now has less distance to throw. So it's a good point too. Yeah. It works both ways. Like I really think it's going to end up like helping the catcher. I think like they're claiming that this is all for player safety. So ultimately like let's, I mean, let's hope less injuries on the Mets, the better. I mean, (laughs) I think like ultimately if nothing changes, like at least, you know, at least they like don't injure their like fingers as much or you know, whatever else. Like hopefully that just like eliminates any of that aspect. I do think it's interesting to see if they will steal more, especially because as Ray said, there has been a reduction of stolen bases, and but that's a lot of it has to do with the analytics, right? Baseball's become a much more analytical game, and they realize that stealing bases can hurt you if you're not stealing at a proper clip, right? If you get thrown out forty percent of the time, you're hurting your team. Um, yeah. versus if you get thrown out 20% of the time, you're helping your team. So it's, I think it'll be interesting to see how that affects that. I mean, from what I've heard from the league about also, the, I mean, all the changes that we'll talk about today is it's meant to improve the fan experience, which, you know, 
people like seeing more exciting plays, stolen bases being one of, in my opinion, one of the most exciting plays in baseball. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that happens in a split second and you, you have a decision right there. And it's a close play in a second. It's a lot of fun. Um, so I, I hope, I don't know, I, I guess, you know, analytics are important as, you know, as they help all teams stay informed, but I would love to see more emphasis on the excitement as well. So um, overall, yay or nay, guys? What do you think for the stall, for the bigger bases? I'm a yay. I'm also a yay. I'm gonna go yay. I'm, I'm for it as well, although I feel like it's uh, fixing a problem that we don't have in baseball. I think it's a unnecessary change, but I, I think it's fine. I hope I hope we'll see good results. That's all. Um, so in addition, obviously, to bigger stolen bases. Another way that the game or Major League Baseball is trying to improve the excitement is with um, a new pitch clock system. And that also includes timing, step-offs, and pick-offs as well, which will also have some part of um, this, uh, some, some sort of effect on stolen bases as well. Well, I was going to say, like, before we talk about like the pitch clock, the, the pick-off rule, I feel like that one ties in kind of well with the stolen bases. Um, I think the, the proposed rule is that a pitcher has up to two like pickoff attempts for um, a runner on first and if they go a third time it has to be like like a like you know uh, a guaranteed out otherwise like there's a penalty that's right yeah considered a bulk I believe and you know we're talking about you know increasing the amount of stolen bases that we see in the game if the pitcher is a little bit more reluctant on throwing to, to first when he's got a runner over there maybe you know, we see more leadoffs, and with like a larger leadoff and more frequency of leadoffs, like you know, those stolen base numbers do rise rise up. And to that point, I I, I think I was watching a segment on uh, MLB Network, and it was with Rajai Davis, who was you know former Met, of course, for I think a half season or something. But he has four hundred career stolen bases, and he was talking about this rule change and how when he would get. When when uh, when he would be on first and he would be taking a lead and trying to steal, pitchers would throw over and he have to he have to keep diving back to the base. And that dive back to the base, even if it's just eleven feet, is still really it's like it yeah. puts a toil on your body because you have to get in the dirt, you get dirty, and you have to dive back. And that sometimes had an effect on if he would go to second or not. So if maybe if we limit that, we get some more people taking off um, sooner. I, th- I think it's going to be an interesting way that they how, how they're going to have to deal with that. I think that. Teams are going to be much more strategic with their pickoffs, like you know, Ray alluded to already, um, and you know, it's going to create more action. I think that was the that was the point of it's definitely really. a shakeup yeah. for sure. You know, it kind of reminds me of like NBA, like five or ten years, uh, five or seven years back, where you saw more of an infinite emphasis on like the three ball. You know, kind of like in effect, like changed up like a big dynamic of the game. So where MLB might have you know only relied on certain players as you know, pinch runners, maybe they find their, themselves a position in the lineup more often where stolen bases are, you know, more of a valuable thing in the lineup. Right. I think that ties pretty well into the pitch clock, too. I think that's kind of the whole pace of play that's like their big rule change they're trying to get to. Um, so, was it, uh, David, you want to go and walk us through that rule change with the pitch clock? Sure. So, basically, it's... 30 seconds between batters, 15 seconds between each pitch with the bases empty, and then you have 20 seconds between each pitch with the runner on base. I believe a batter has to be in the box when there's 8 seconds left. Batter has one timeout in every at-bat. Um, and then, like Ray said, the two pickoffs. I think there's a little more nuance with that between innings and stuff like that, but that, that's the basic you know, those are the meat and potatoes of what's going to change there. It's just 30 seconds between batters, you know, 15 seconds between each pitch, and I think that'll be noticeable watching the games. That's going to be really keep the game moving. Yeah, I think uh, they, the, based on the minor league statistics that they got out there, that the you know average game is about three hours of you know actual time, and it cha- it took about 26 minutes off of each game. So we're looking at closer to a two and a half hour game and watching experience than a three-hour one and i think it's going to be you know it's going to be interesting to see it's going to be a different kind of feel for baseball which is a very paced and slow game and i think it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the people adjust to it yeah maybe on a major league level if these people have been doing the same thing for years pitchers are set in their ways but it seemed like most of the stats batters and pitchers like hits runs era like didn't 
really seem affected by That's the pitch clock. Like I just like very surprisingly like no no real effect in one way or another. So it's, it seems like it really is just moving pace of play. Like it really shouldn't affect most of you know mo- most of the stats runs. Well, when I think about like increasing the p- pace of play, like I think of like certain niche players like a Craig Kimbrell, a Craig Kimbrell, who he has like kind of a long wind up before mm-hmm. he pitches. You know, does this affect certain certain pitchers out there on the mound? Like where, you know, they have to go through their routine a little bit quicker, or maybe like it affects them for the better because you know, getting into the rhythm of the pitching so quickly, does that help? players get more comfortable quicker I'm, I'm interested to see how this plays out yeah i think there's a, there's a lot of players who i think are going to adjust really quickly and i think some some players who i'm i mean just from watching them last year it's like how are you going to be able to get ready in time like First i'm thinking bassett, bassett i mean yeah. so we have to deal with this year, but like can't canna like all these players who um I just, you know, when you watch them on TV, they're there and they're moving their helmet, they're moving their gloves, and they're stepping out of the box, they're taking some practice swings, and I think, I think it'll, it'll be interesting to watch them run it. Um, and and I, I don't know if they're if they're doing it in scrimmages right now, they're working with it, but spring training is going to implement these changes or not? I believe spring training is going to implement it, and I think as you said last week, that the World Baseball Classic won't be right. So you're going to have a disparity, you know, a discrepancy between players who got to play with the rule changes, who participated in spring training, and the ones who didn't, who went to the World Baseball Classic. Um, but I think that's your point about um, Canna is interesting because you know the Mets, you know, the, I'm sorry, not the Mets, but everybody kind of thinks about pitchers being affected by this, um, and but batters will be too. They have to change their pace. I think Canna last year had the second highest average time between pitches than any, of any batter. Hmm. He's going to have to step it up. He's got to have to be in that box and be ready right after the pitch and it's it could change his rhythm too. Yeah. I don't know. I I'm I'm more of a baseball traditionalist and I think that, you know, every every pitch and every play is so precise that I think everyone should take, you know, the amount of time that they need. But obviously it's not it's not good for business <laughs> or not good for entertainment, I guess. I I agree with you. I think let them take as long as you need. Um I'm curious though, is this in the postseason as well, or is this just for the regular season pitch clock? I, I'm not sure what they uh, what the, what the decision is on that. Do you guys know? I would imagine it's it's probably gonna be in place for the postseason. That's my guess. I mean, the only thing that would that would give me hesitation to say that would be um, the extra inning rule last year, where you know you start tenth inning with a runner on second base, right. was something that was only a regular season thing, and they did not continue it for. The postseason that is now permanent. Yeah, it is now permanent. Uh, it's another rule change that they they didn't regularly change the rule, but they did make it official permanent. Although they said it will not be implemented during the playoffs, which to me tells me that the MLB knows it's a bad rule. Interesting. You know, if they're if they're saying we're not going to do this when everybody's watching, then interesting. I think we all know that it's a bad rule. But uh, we we could talk about that in more detail. I don't. Bit. Yeah, we'll need to look. I, that, that's a very interesting question, David, about whether it'll continue in the playoffs or not. So uh, let's do it again. Uh, overall, yay or nay? Where are we at? <sighs> the, the pitch. Clock. It's a begrudging yay for me. I, I I think it goes against what I normally how I feel about baseball. But I'm excited. I'm always excited to see change of any of any magnitude. I'm a nay. I, I, I guess I'm more of a traditionalist. I think let them take as long as they need to. Like, yeah, should they pitch faster? Yeah, I think a lot of batters should move faster. A lot of pitchers should move faster. But I, I don't know. I, I, I agree that the rule is going to do what it needs to do. But I, I disagree. I think let them let them take as long as they need to. Like, come on. Like, like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm very surprised at myself, but I'm actually a yay for this. I'm a very traditionalist when it comes to rule changes, especially. I don't want any changes in baseball, but I think overall it's going to really improve the experience for especially the casual fan watching the game. And at the end of the day, you need fans to keep the game going. Um, I think you're going to miss that kind of intensity and really just like suspense that you get in between the pitches just watching a game now for that heart those hardcore fans but i think for the casual fan it's such a boom to the business so i'm, I'm also a, a begrudging yay how about you ray well um i want to be a yay 
I really want to be a yay. <laughs> but I think somewhere I saw that they said um, umpires are going to have a little bit of leniency where they could determine, like in specific, like certain scenarios, like if a couple of extra seconds are allotted. Hmm. And it kind of reminds me of, like, you know, stoppage time in, like, soccer where, you know, like, now you're relying on, like, you know, the zebra to tell you, like, well, is this good? Is this good? And, you know, if, if you're going to implement a rule like this, it needs to be black and white. So that way there's no there's no middle ground. So I don't know exactly what they meant by, like, cert- like specific scenarios where the umpire would be able to make a determination. But, like, you know, you have to clean that up because if that happens in a big game, you know, people are not going to be happy with it. And this is already a divisive topic, so, you know, you have to be crystal clear about what's yay and what's nay. Yeah, I would hope that it's more of, like, oh, if someone is, like, took 15 and a half seconds left, then they're going to let that slide. That seems a little crazy to, like, give a ball if the pitcher is, like, just a half splitting hairs behind, but... Yeah, I would hope it's not like a you get an umpire on a power trip and it's another three balk in an inning situation. Yeah. You're right. That is well. Joe West did retire, so. <laughs> but now that now that we're talking about how the umpire is still involved in it, it makes me very confused how the umpire is even going to have, I don't know, like the wherewithal to see everything, right? Because that means they need to be watching the pitcher throw, like in in his delivery, and also need to be watching like the clock that's somewhere in their in their. Mm-hmm eyeline and then it's like will there be a buzzer that goes off will they just have to say like no that was after the clock and what they and they believe what they just saw i think it'll probably be implemented similar to what we see in football for those who don't watch it often you see the play clock sometimes you'll see it on tv the play clock will hit zero and then you'll have a heartbeat and then the play comes off and there's no flag but it's because their general rule of thumb is they're watching the clock and when it hits zero they go look at the play and then if it looks like they're going, they let it go. But if it looks like they're sitting still, then they throw the flag. So I think it'll be something similar to what we see in football. Got it. You think it's more it's more just like a very expressive motivator. Like this clock is counting down. You better get your damn pitch off, right? Yeah, I do think that's right. Um, I think we got one more big rule change. One more big rule change. Um, and I think that's the shift ban. I think a lot of people have wanted to see that for years. Uh, some people have been afraid to see that for years. Uh, but why don't we talk about exactly what it means and we'll talk about kind of our feelings and how we think it'll affect us specifically as Mets, as Mets fans. Uh, so essentially the new rule is that you need to keep two infielders on each side of second base, both of them having their feet in the dirt. Uh, so the idea is to limit the shift uh, so you can't have three people on one side of the infield. Obviously you'll still have people, shortstops and second basemen, playing just to the side of second base to keep it almost up the middle shift, some kind of quasi shift, but it'll obviously reduce that a little bit. Um, you'll have to, you know, probably have more athletic plays because people are going to have to run farther. Um, and I think a little quirk that David brought up earlier before we started recording is that, you know, the one of the unique things about baseball is that every stadium is different, every field is a little different, and there's no standard size for the infield dirt. So the idea of where players are going to be is going to be interesting because some fields is going to be a little different than other fields. Yeah, I'm curious how this will play out. I could see certain managers or teams, what if they adjust their infield dirt accordingly? I mean, obviously both teams have to play on the same dirt, but I mean, didn't uh, the Yankees like brought their um, walls in? I know a lot of teams like bring their walls in or out based on, you know, the hitters that they have based on, you know, whether they want more offense or defense. I mean, there's, so much nuance to that i don't know how anyone would really implement that but i mean that's kind of crazy that two people on each side and not every field is the same i mean that you got steve i I do think that you do need official approval from the league to change something in your field like that so i think they can't just kind of arbitrarily start changing where the dirt is uh but it is different stadium to stadium i don't but i don't think they're going to be able to get to that level of gamesmanship there's, I mean, there there are definitely ways that grounds crews will will tend their field to give their home team an advantage. I think back when uh, Cal Ripken used to play on the Orioles, I know like the grounds crew would leave the grass a lot higher as it came up to shortstop, so ground balls would just deaden hmm. as they got to him. Okay. Um, there's all these little, you know, fun little things that the grounds crew can do. 
But then I, then I was also thinking about the infield dirt thing made me think of, do you remember back in Toronto when they had the regular turf? And <laughs> it, used, it used to just be the corner bases have the dirt, and there was no, it wasn't an actual infield, it was just the right, dirt. Right, just dirt, dirt around the bases. Around the bases. Yeah. Sounds, really, sounds like a really interesting conundrum <laughs> if they were using these, these rules. Um, but I think I would love to see that. <laughs> I'd love to see how they would manage it there. I think this is going to be one of the bigger practical shifts to the game, right? You see a lot of power hitting especially lefties and even now righties uh in the game where they're being so shifted that they're smashing that ball like a pete alonzo smashing that ball into the second base dirt all the time into that shift uh you got big lefties smashing that ball into the uh left field left side of the infield and it's gonna be interesting to see that not happen anymore right it's gonna you know um i think i think i switched that up i think you got pete switching the ball into the left side of the field and you got lefties going to the right side of the field but the point is the same so I mean, yeah, I think you, yeah, you, you make me think about all the Mets and how they're gonna, their hitting is gonna change. Um, we were, we were talking briefly about Jeff McNeil. To the three of you, what, who do you think is gonna be most affected by the shift this year, and to what extent? Um, I'm hoping it's not Jeff McNeil. He fi- he finally found his bat like after a couple seasons. I was excited to see like him like really get on base, how he used to last season. Um, you know, I uh, I think it might be a positive thing for like some of our batters because like they're gonna have a chance to like comfortably swing as as opposed to adjusting when they know that they're getting shifted on. So I'm hoping that like this is a positive thing for our batters. I hope so too. Um, yeah, I think. Hopefully, evening out the infield a little bit can give our hitters a little more just calm, you know. Because I think there's something when you're when you're playing and you see everyone loaded up against you on one side where you always hit it, it can kind of get in your head. Yeah. You kind of be like, "Oh, I'm gonna hit, I'm gonna hit it to where all the guys are playing me perfectly." It, it can get kind of defeating. So maybe putting a stop to that can let people loosen up a bit and just feel a little more free to swing, to make contact, and just put it in play because you're gonna have, you're gonna find holes a little easier. I'm interested to see if it'll change kind of to that mindset, the launch angle idea, right? I think that people, power hitters especially, might be a little less scared to hit the ball on the ground or line drives now. Maybe try to just get that base hit a little more. I know Pete did that a lot last year, just try to get the base hit. Um, But you might see people who are less afraid to get the ball on the ground uh, and maybe make something good happen. I know a lot of the Mets lineup does that already, uh, but it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, honestly, Eric, to your point, I kind of feel like Jeff McNeil, at least when he was at bat last year, I feel like he had a chip on his shoulder. When people were shifting against him, I guess the analytics told the other team to do that, but I feel like if he saw three people on one side, I don't know, I kind of got the feeling that he was just going to hit it to the opposite side, and I feel like he did that pr- pretty well. So, I don't know, I mean, I feel like it's, I, he's a great player, He, I feel like he's going to make adjustments and he's going to hit it where he needs to, but yeah, I feel like... Honestly, it might hurt him a little bit. I feel like the shift, he would always be able to hit it against the shift. All right, so now with that, let's do uh, one more yay or nay. What do you guys think of the uh, of the shift ban? Yay, for sure. I'm I'm uh, I'm a, I'm against it. Wow, I really yeah, I was surprised. Um, I mean, you know, just against all these rule changes, but you no, know, I I feel like all the nuance and all the analytics and everything in baseball. I I mean. I don't know, there's some players that, like, clearly they're pulling the ball, clearly they hit it all to one side, like, predominantly. Like, if that's blatantly what the stats are telling you, like, I don't know, to a certain extent, it's like, why can't you do that? Like, Joey Gallo, for one, is, like, the probably the biggest proponent that he is just, you know, like, he hits it, he pulls the ball every time, so they stack one side of the field against him. I mean, it's pretty obvious what to do against him, and now it's like, there's one clear advantage, one, you know, for defense against one player, and now you just can't do that like you know how to stop the player and you just now can't do that i feel like it it helps the batters a little more i guess that's what they're trying to do but i don't know if like the stats are clearly swaying you one way and now you just can't do that i don't know i'm I'm against this one Uh, i'm really torn honestly i think i'm against it in principle i think let them do whatever they want to uh like i said i'm generally against any rule change in baseball i'm pretty traditionalist but on the other hand, I really miss seeing a ball struck really well right up the middle and it being a base hit and you know it. Like, I, I don't like not knowing where the play, 
uh, defenders are on any given play. I don't like seeing a ball hit right on the nose that's just an easy ground ball. It just drives me crazy. Um, so I, I think overall I'm against the, the rule change, but it's uh, it's it's I'm, it's I'm a little split with it. How about you, Ray? Um, I'm kind of like all you guys. I'm up in the air about it, but I I think I'm in favor of it. I think it you know it kind of simplifies the game to a to a to an effect. We're trying to increase the pace of the game, and you know when you have a third baseman running all the way over to the first base side. And sometimes that could, like, you know, eat up a little bit of the clock, too. You know, sounds a little silly, but, you know, maybe making it simple will make it better. That's fair. I mean, like you said, they're trying to improve the pace of the game. They're trying to improve, get more action in the game, and that will probably accomplish that. But, yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break, uh, and we'll be back talking about the NL East in our projections for the year. I'm excited to talk about the NL East. All right, everybody, welcome back. We're back from break now, and we're going to dive into the National League East. We're going to talk about the projections for the season. We're going to talk about our own projections for the season. Then we're going to do a little bit of an in-depth dive into each team in our division, the, our biggest competition, and what we're going to look like, what we think the year is going to look like. So, uh, to start off with, I want to talk about the Pakoda projections. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Pakoda is a a uh, big acronym for something that's very scientific sounding, but it basically means that the people are going to try to project the standings of the year and how many wins each team will get based on the players that they have and the past performance of those players. Pakoda is put out by a company called Baseball Prospectus, for what people who people don't know. They are basically the original stat heads. They are kind of the grandfathers of sabermetrics. They were originally started as a baseball magazine. Uh, that was, you know, kind of just put out weird stats for people to listen to and to read. Does Pakoda stand for anything, Steve? It does stand for something. I cannot exactly remember this acronym right now. I believe it's player... You want well, it, it just so happens I have the Wikipedia page up as well right now. Let's see, what does it stand Pakoda's for? Pakoda is an acronym for Player Empirical Comparison and Optimization Test Algorithm. Like I said, a very scientific-sounding projection name for just telling us that we're going to guess how many teams, how many wins each team is going to have this year. So... Without further ado, we're going to talk about the National League East and what Pakoda has projected for that. I'm going to, for ease of discussion, round any of the numbers up. They actually do give a fractional win total they think they might get, but obviously teams are not going to win 0.4 games. So with them, they actually have the Mets projected to have an even 96 wins in first place in the National League East. Wow. Not only that, that would tie them with the Dodgers for the most wins in the National League, according to Pakoda, and put them in second in the majors. That's right. They have them ahead of the Astros somehow, wow. not only behind the Yankees, but fuck the Yankees. <laughs> uh, they have the Braves finishing five games behind us with 91 wins, the Phillies finishing two games behind the Braves and seven games behind us with 89 wins, Miami with 80 wins, and Washington with 61 wins. A couple of interesting notes about that is that we are the only division in baseball that Pakoda projects to have three teams with at least 89 wins. We are the only division in baseball that has at least three teams with a 60% or higher chance of making the playoffs. And we actually have three teams with a 70% chance or higher of making the playoffs. And so they, they, they are projecting the National League East to be the least top-heaviest division in baseball, if not the most competitive and best. They certainly project them to have three very strong teams that are going to be fighting for the title this year. Um, so with that, I think it's a good place for us to talk about where we think the standings are going to run, go, go out. And I think I'm going to go out on a limb here and say we're all going to agree that the Mets are going to be in first place this year. Anybody disagree with that? Don't no, say anything no, if you disagree. I agree with that. I don't think we would be doing this podcast if we, <laughs> we could honestly say otherwise. <laughs> What do you think, Ray? What's, what's, what, give me a five. We, we've had some bad years, but this is definitely one of the years where I see we're going to get more than this estimate. I feel like we're going to have another 100 win season at least. Wow. That's wow. That's a bold projection. Uh, yeah, that's... What, what, what's, what's your win total for the Mets? What do you got? Um, I got us at 103. 103 wow. wins. Wow. Improvement on last year. That is, that's a bold claim, Ray. Uh, how about David? What do, you, what do you got for the Mets? I I am still foolishly faithful, as our name implies. I I can't give us a hundred wins. I'm gonna put us in first. I, I'd say uh, let's say ninety seven. 
Okay. Little one one higher than Pakoda. How about how about you, Eric? I will also put the Mets in first place. Um, but I'm going to agree with David at 97. I think this is a good team, but 100 wins is is a landmark to eclipse that I just I I'm I'm trying to be I'm trying to be realistic and 100 is hard. I, I'm I am with you guys, not Ray. Sorry. I think uh, 100 win seasons are special. We had a special season last year, despite how it ended. And I think that we get in the high 90s. I think 96, 97 is is probably where we're going to be at. And I do think we finish in first place. Um, with that, I actually think the Braves are going to do a little better than 91 wins. I think they basically running back the same team as we are that ran 101 wins. They took a little hit. Well, you know, we'll talk about it in more detail with their offense, but improve their defense. Um, and I think they, they wind up a little closer to us. They finish two games behind us. They're going to go 95 wins with to our 97. Um, I have the opposite opinion. I think that Atlanta is going to like struggle a little bit this year compared to last year. You know, they lose Oda Rizzi, they lose Jansen, and they lose Swanson. You know, these are like three big players for them, and you know, I think it's going to affect them more so than we imagine. I think it's a great point. Honestly, the Braves are the one team I'm most scared of. I would say I gave Mets 97. I'll give the Braves 96. Wow. Tight race. Yeah. I am. I'm also with this same feeling. I think. I think the Braves will, will definitely be our toughest competition this year. Um, but there's also a part of me that's like, they're at this point, they're two years removed from that World Series. Um, they came off a disappointing end last year. They lost some key players. They lost. I mean, a French. I mean, well, what what could have been a franchise player in Danzy Swanson? Um, but I think it'll be neck and neck to the end of the year. But I, I'm also going to go like 95, 94. Um, there's something about the energy that feels like they're, they're, they're maybe not going to be the best of the best this year. Hmm. I, I think it's always hard to bet against a team that has such a history of dominating our division. Um, you know, I think for all our childhoods, they, what, 14, 15 years in a row they won the division, and they're a powerhouse year in, year out, so you can't count them out, but it, it's going to be a tight one. Definitely not. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to be conservative, but they are going to kick our ass, and it's going to be some really tough, tough games this year. Steve, I know you've mentioned in the past how, I don't know, on the podcast or not, but how the Braves are a really well-built like organization and how they have really good depth as well and they keep signing players to ridiculous contracts right, and contracts, they keep yeah. drafting players well and they have a great farm system. So I think that's part of it as well. Like They, they have the depth. Even if they start losing some of these players' injuries, like they'll, they'll be back. They're not going away. So now that we're, we all agree on one and two, Let's go to number three. I think this is going to be the... We've discussed it a little bit before. This is going to be the first part where we actually disagree. So, uh, Eric, why don't you start off? Who is your third-place team? My third-place team for 2023 will be the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, listen, 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 listen. The <laughs> Phillies made a World Series last year, and I... Speaking of myself, I don't really understand how they did it. You know, the Mets absolutely trounced them, um, and they were able to overcome and make the wild card and beat... Some really good teams making through the playoffs, um, so I want to give them that respect because they have, you know, they, they seem to have that instinct that they know they just need to play and hit bombs and just join together. But um, I can't see them making 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 it make, winning the division, um, and even a wild card spot seems hard uh, to claim. Even though they've leveled up, you know, they got Trey Turner, Harper will be back at some point this year. Um, their pitching has improved a little bit. But I will give the Phillies 87 wins. And you, th- um, you think they missed the wild card? And I think they missed the wild card. Wow. I think it's just, I don't know I don't know who the other two teams will be at that point. It could be the Padres. Um, it could be the Cardinals. It, well, there's three teams in the wild card now. There are three teams in the wild card now. Yeah, Excuse yeah. me. And, um, so it's, it, <laughs> maybe they still do make it. Um I don't know. I, I'm just I'm just a Philadelphia Phillies hater, and That's I always fair. will be. Um, and I don't want to really give him much of anything, so I'm gonna stick with him at third place in 86 wins. All right, playoffs you? to be determined. <laughs> how about you, Ray? What do you got for them for well, the third place? When I said I wasn't feeling so confident about Atlanta, I, I really meant it. I think Philly's gonna be second in the division. Oh, you're, you're so you're saying Philly second, not Atlanta. I, I think Philly's second in okay. the, the division. You know, they picked up Trey Turner, mm-hmm. which is one of the most prolific base stealers in the league. And with this new uh, uh, base rule, I think, you know, it might be a bigger factor than we imagined. You know, they also got one of our closer, uh, pitchers from last year, Taiwan, signed over there. 
So, you know, he's got some experience in the NL East going to our division rivals. And I think they also signed uh, Craig Kimbrell. Craig Kimbrell. It's like the third time this podcast I said his name wrong. <laughs> and, you know, like, he's always been, like, one of the closers, or, like, setup guys that I've, like, you know, really respected. Um, let's see... You know, like I said, the base running rule might affect Trey Turner in a positive way, and maybe, uh, hopefully, the the pitch clock affects Kimbrel in a good way too. God, I am excited to watch Trey Turner slide more often now that he's in the NL East. Uh, it's going to be annoying to watch him, but that slide is special. He's got a much bigger area to to cover now too with that base. That's true. How about David? Who you got for your third place team? Oh, also give it to the Phillies. Like, I know you're a World Series slump. But, I mean, they didn't win, so <laughs> let's see how much that really affects them. They, I don't know, I like. I feel Trey Turner and Bryce Harper, I mean, those are both two of the best players. They were together on the Nationals as well. Now they're back again. And, I don't know, I feel like, um, yeah, they, they still have Schwarber, right, I believe? They do. They still, yep, they they still do. got yeah, Schwarber. Schwarber. Yeah, so they're definitely, they definitely can hit. Um, I, I like Taiwan. I feel like he's, every time someone leaves the Mets, they always somehow improve. So he he's gonna kill us this year. Um, I'll I'll put the Phillies at uh, 90 wins. Okay. I'm I'm gonna go way out on a limb here. I'm gonna say that the Florida Mar sorry the what year Florida the Miami Marlins will be third place in our division this year. I think that they will also determine the division winner as to which team is gonna be able to get the best record against them between the Braves and the Mets. I think they are going to be a huge surprise this year. We'll go into them more detail when we talk about the teams, but I'm going to put them at third place with 86 wins. Wow. Do they make the playoffs? I think it's going to be close. I do think they squeak into that third wildcard spot. I think what you, what you just said about how they will kind of, what do you say, they'll round out the division almost? They're going to decide, I think they're going to decide, the division, they're going to decide which, the division. Which team can really beat up or can beat them the best. Right. Because they, they can play and they have some really good players, which we'll, which we'll get into. But I think there's, the, um, the schedule has started to change this year, right? That's true. So that, that means that interdivision uh, matches or games happen less frequently. That's right. So it used to be 19 games against each of your division opponents, and now it's going to be 14 games. Interesting. So I think that actually probably helps teams like the Marlins, who, you know... They don't have to play the Braves. They don't have to play the Braves and the Mets as much. Is that total or home and away? Total. So they used to play 19 games in total against each division opponent, and now they're going to be playing 14. So five less games against each division opponent, meaning 20 fewer games against the division in general. That might have hurt us when it comes to to the Nationals. Those are some easy wins that we could scrape up. You know, that's an interesting point, especially because I think the the Mets were not as good at beating up on those worst teams last year. I think they, you know, we were consistently winning series but not sweeping, and so it'll be interesting how that plays out, though. Um, So I think that rounds us all out for third place. Uh, That brings us to fourth place. I think that means that you're going to assume you all have the same fourth place team except for me. Bray, who do you got? Yeah, going with the Marlins. I okay. agree with you. They're young. They're exciting. They got a lot of dynamic players, both on offense and defense. And um, they're a young team too. That's one of the best things to watch in baseball. Uh, I obviously have my fourth place team as the Phillies. I think that they're going to do well this year. I think that all due respect to the Phillies, they got into the World Series last year. They eked into the playoffs. We and the Braves beat them by 14 games last year. 14 games in the standings. I don't believe they made that up in the free agency. I think they got a little better with Turner. They're going to lose Harper for the beginning of this year. I don't think they made up 14 games. I think they finish one game behind the Marlins with 85 wins. They do have Mike Soroka coming back. Could be a a difference maker and pitcher. I I think you're thinking of the Braves. I am. Soroka's a Brave. He's a Brave. You are right. You are right. (laughs) Soroka was out for like two years, years, right? Tommy John? Uh, he had, I think, he had Tommy John, and then broke he broke a leg had, in the playoffs, right? He had like a lot, a setback before he. And he got hurt again, right? Yeah. I mean, I I hope he plays well. You know, just for he had a lot uh, as of promise a player, as, as a as a young player. I was worried when he came up. Yeah, I was like, this guy's gonna be killing us for years. He actually tore his Achilles. It was the, Ugh, was the actual injury. Ouch. Um, in the second year. Ooh. Um, back to the Marlins, though I. I like them. I think they're a young and exciting team. I think they got Alcantara back, and Chisholm should be coming back. I think, too, you know, Chisholm was, you know, I mean, he didn't play that long in the season, but he was definitely on an MVP-type pace when he was playing. 
Um, and Alcantara won this reigning, you know, he's the reigning Cy Young. So I feel like I'll give him uh, 80, 84 wins. 84 wins? Oh, okay. Above 500. Above 500, but in fourth place. Yep. The fish for me will be in fourth place as well. Um, for all the for all the reasons you all have named as well, I think um, you know young young team have some exciting players. Uh, I'm excited to see Arias. I'm excited to see Chisholm in center, which I just learned about just now. Um, but yeah, fourth place. Uh, I don't know, 82 wins. All right, just just a winning season. Just a winning season. All right, so that brings us all to fifth place. I think we can all agree. I don't even think we need a discussion about it. The Nationals are going to be in a distant fifth place from the National League East. Are, did we all agree to that? They might lose 105 games. You, so, yeah, so that, that, I think that was the, that's the only question with the, the Nationals is how many games do we think they're going to win slash lose? <laughs> I, I do think I agree. I think they break the 100 loss threshold. I think they go 59 and 101. 59 and 103. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll one up you. I feel like uh, they they got to improve a little bit. I'll give them sixty wins. All right. I think I, I think I give them sixty two and a hundred. Um, the post Soto era is. I think it's a time for rebuilding, like you said, Ray. And I think it's young guys, and they're just they'll find a way to to win some games. And how about you, Ray? How many wins do you got for them? Um, I'm gonna probably go around the sixty the sixty mark. You right. know. They're rebuilding after letting Juan Soto go away. They got a lot of young pieces, and hopefully, you know, they develop them the right way, or you know, they make some moves at the trade deadline. Um. So, all right. So that is that's our production for the standings. I think now we're going to go into our discussion about the teams and kind of what we're looking forward to and what the competition is going to be like for this year with them. So we're going to go backwards from our standings and we're going to do the general consensus and say, let's talk about the Nationals first. What well, is it about the Nationals that we can look forward to uh, either watching or just beating them up this year? What do you think, Eric? Watching and beating them up sounds like the same thing. It sounds like <laughs> a recipe for success for the Mets in 2023. Um, yeah, the Nationals, I don't really expect them to, as we said, play super well. They're, they're, it's a young team. Um not a whole lot of talent, but there are some some interesting players on this Nationals team. Um, I'll start with our old friend um, who who signed a a contract. I think it was two years or one, or one year, two million with the Nationals. Our old friend Dominic Smith. Dominic Smith uh, finally has left the Mets and has gone on to hopefully see better days. Um, I'm really I'm really hoping he plays well. I think I, you know I've always liked Dom. Um, I think. You know, after 2020 and just not performing the year after, and it's kind of like a fall from grace. But you know, he he works so hard and he really wants to be good. And I think he's got a lot of talent. Um, and I hope you know, just a new situation will be good for him and he can put up some good numbers. And you know, and he'll get to play every day on a Nationals team that perhaps needs some more veteran leadership. Which is crazy to think that Dom is a veteran in the clubhouse now, yeah, but he how, is. How we? Yeah, I mean, he but he has. I mean, he's gone through a lot in the past few years. Um, Glenn called up down Syracuse everything so I'm excited for him to have a major league role on a team I agree um, with you I think it'll be and it's going to be nice to see him it's going to be nice to see him frequently too because he's on the Nationals yeah when was it like last year a couple years ago when Dom was injured and he just kept being brought around the team because he was just a great presence in the clubhouse all the players like we want him around he's great for morale I mean he signed a one year contract to the Nationals that's a contract here he's got a, he's, he's been needing to prove it for a while yeah. so I mean this is he's definitely got a shot now um, yeah he's yeah like you said he's a big presence there he's a, he a veteran of sorts so <laughs> I'm actually pretty excited to see Joey Manessis. I think I might be pronouncing his name wrong. I prefer to pronounce it Menesis. I know that's not the correct pronunciation, but I think it sounds like better. to rhyme with Nemesis. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but I think Joey Manessis. I think he's a fun story. He's a 30-year-old rookie last year. He came up the day after they traded Soto. He was basically the replacement, even though he plays first base. I guess first place and right field. Uh, but at 30-year-old rookie, he came up for the rest of the season after the trade deadline. He batted 285. He hit 13 home runs. He did had a good year, and it was fun to watch. It was a good story. So I'm, I hope he has another good year, except against the Mets. Um, Ray, do, do you have any highlights for the Nationals that you're um, looking forward to seeing? I'm going to just piggyback on what you guys are saying about Dom. Uh, I'm happy that he's going to get a chance to be an everyday player. But I'm just a little worried because typically when um, 
you know, when we let players like <laughs> go away under these circumstances, they have a huge resurgence. Yeah, they become Babe Ruth, <laughs> or they become Justin Turner. <laughs> That's right. Like I, I just picture Dom going out to Washington and turning into like an All Star within two years. I'd be really happy for him. I really would. Yeah, except you know that means he's going to be beating up. <laughs> he's going to be beating up on the Mets. He'll <laughs> be batting four hundred. I think like Daniel Murphy field. with that, where like he was, he became a great player when he left the Mets. Even though he was a great player with the Mets, but he especially oh my became God. a great player yeah. when he played against the Mets. For now, he tortured us that year. Yeah. It was his twenty sixteen after. I mean, because we let him go after the World Series. That's right. That's right. He absolutely destroyed. Yeah, for the next two years, he, he, he was. That's just our luck. Killed us. Absolutely um, killed us. Uh, are so, we? So I think uh, that's really it on the national. Really, we don't need to say much not, more. There's not so much to talk about. So much more. I guess we'll go with the consensus number four pick. Consensus number four. Even though I have them as my number three, um, I'm going to go with the consensus number four, and we're going to talk about the Marlins. All right. Um, I love the Marlins this year. Uh, not against the Mets, obviously, but I think they're going to be an exciting team to watch. I think they're going to be a surprising team to a lot of people. They made a ton of moves this offseason, a lot of them under the radar. They signed Gene Segura, uh, who's been great with the Phillies in the National League East for years now. He's a solid veteran presence for all those young players. Uh, they traded for uh, Ariza, who... Arias. Arias. Luis. Jeez, I don't know why I have such a name with that name. <laughs> A lot of vowels. They traded for Luis Arias, who, if people don't watch the American League Central very much, which why would you? He is basically the Twins version. Was the Twins version of Jeff McNeil? That's exactly what I was going to say. He yeah. he has a lifetime three fifteen batting average. He just knocks the ball all over the place with little singles. He does not play as good of a defense as McNeil, but he's solid. And I think it's a really under the radar move. And they really won that trade when they traded Lopez. And I think that people didn't. You know, it's hard to see. Uh, but he's going to be great. Uh, David already mentioned having Jazz the full year. Uh, uh, Birdie is just a pain in everybody's side. And with those smaller bases, he might steal 60 bags this year. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Those four and a half inches are really going to help John (laughs) Birdie. And the no pickoffs. That's true. And you know what? Even the no shift, you you know, the... You're going to have to have that second baseman or shortstop run to the bag instead of just being at the bag when they were at the shift. It'll be a little different. I didn't Um, even consider that part. It's it's an interesting, I think, aspect of the shift ban. Um, And another little under-the-radar move they did is they got A.J. Puck, um, who they traded a little reliever from Oakland who just trades everybody they have, I guess, because they're not really interested in playing baseball at a competitive level. Um, but Puck didn't play in 2020 and not much in 2021 either, but he had a really good year last year. He had about a three ERA from the bullpen, and I, you know, it, it's a big move, I think, that people are really underestimating those Marlins, but I think they're going to be good. I'm excited about the Marlins, I think, for, for a lot of the reasons you named. Um, and as I mentioned, I, I just learned that Jazz Chisholm was getting moved to center field, which seems like an enormous adjustment. Um, like, center field is a tough position, and it's, it and it's big in Miami. Like that's a it's a they have a really big outfield out there. Um so that's gonna be interesting. Maybe we just we <laughs> we just hit everything to center and hope to sabotage um him out there. He's a fast guy. I wouldn't He's put fast. it past him to be able to play that position. Yeah. I guess it's but I mean second he was playing at second base, why wasn't he playing a short before? I don't know. He was playing short and second I think. A okay. bit of a mixture of both. Um but yeah I'm excited. Um we'll see we'll I see. Rojas took a lot of short stop Rojas last year. Too. Yeah. yeah. Um but yeah that's who I'm most excited about. Um, I'm excited for Sandy Alcantara, honestly. I feel like he was, yeah, reigning Cy Young. I, I mean, I had him personally on my fantasy baseball team that it didn't really help out too much because I was pretty bad, but he was the only bright spot on the team. For the record, I, I traded David Alcantara for Jazz Chisholm about a week before Jazz Chisholm got hurt for the rest of the season. I unfortunately cannot see the future. That was just blind luck by me, so <laughs> that worked out in my favor. Um, so, yeah, I'm. I'm really excited. Honestly, like whenever I watched him play, though, I ended up like watching his games more often. He's like, he was, I mean, great. Yeah, it's, it was really cool to see someone actually pitch complete games. I feel like you don't really see that, and that was he like. I don't have the numbers, but he like dominated the innings pitched for like, yeah, for everyone else for the league. Yeah, I mean, he routinely long threw seven, eight, nine innings yeah. a game. Like, Every so game, you don't he see was, that anymore. Absolutely, yeah, that was really cool to see. Again, hopefully it's not against the Mets, but you know I feel like we don't need to keep saying that. You know, of course. Um, 
Yeah, like I'm also excited about Miami this year. You know, if you think back a bunch of years, they had like a really good base and like an exciting team. Like you had a bunch of like young players like Stanton, Fernandez, Real Muto. I, I think Marte was out there years ago. And, you know, whatever Miami was doing, like they weren't able to keep all those good young players together. And they entered like a little bit of a rebuild. And this is this team that we're seeing right now. It kind of looks like what like the 2016-17 Marlins could have been if, you know, they kept hold of all their players. So maybe this is like, you know, the turning page in the Marlins uh, storybook. That's I, we sure hope. I mean, is Jeter gone? Jeter's no longer involved. G- Jeter's no longer involved. The Marlins. He he, 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 gave, he gave the Yankees Staten and then he left. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> is, is Johnny Baseball still out there? Mattingly? I believe no. Right? No, Mattingly got canned last year too. Yeah. So I don't know. So you know, bright skies in Miami. Um, hopefully sunny days, but not not too sunny. Okay, so that brings us to the end of episode three. We're going to cover the other two National League East teams yes. next week. Yes. Thank you, Steve. Yes, we. We realize st- we still have to talk about the, the Braves and the Phillies. Um, we will cover them next week as part of our program um, for episode four. But yes, this brings us to the end of episode three. Um, thank you again all for listening. Um, the Mets are going to be playing real baseball games really soon. Starting this Saturday, the Mets play the Astros and the Marlins in two split squad games down in Florida. Um, and that will happen before our next recording. So. The next time we all get together, we can talk about some real live Mets baseball. Can't wait. Cannot wait. It's pretty exciting. Baseball season is, is upon us. Um, so again, if you have any comments, uh, concerns, questions, critiques, um, please feel please email us. We are looking forward to any sort of input that you have. You can email us at foolishlyfaithfulmetspot at gmail.com. Um, yeah, let us know what you think. Any updates? Let us know if our audio sounds good. We've been trying to work on these microphones for <laughs> for the past three episodes. So if something sounds bad, please give us tips there as well. Um, but for Steve, David, and Ray, I'm Eric. Um, and thanks, and we will see you next time. Later. Bye.